The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. response to success and failure and we're going to see that in the word so that we can rightly apply it and experience the success that he promises and then a third thing that we're going to find is what's needed for people to see Jesus what's needed for people to see Jesus I mean I think it's funny you feel a stir in your spirit you know I mean like I mentioned to my wife hey I feel like we need to talk about provocation well I show up for 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 church service here I pull up and I have my computer to print out some notes and my things. And, and as I pull up, you know, somebody's walking to my car and I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. That doesn't happen very often. And it's somebody that has a need and, and they're telling me their, their story and they're telling me who sent them to the church to come talk to me and I'm going to talk to you after church, whoever you are. They, they said, I was told to come here and talk to you about this. And I said, well, that's true, I'm the pastor of the church, but it doesn't mean that I'm here on Sunday morning to have meetings like this, you know. I need to go and I need to do the things that I'm supposed to do, and I'd, I'd like for you to contact me at a more appropriate time and we'll deal with this. And then you come inside the building and you think, well, I've got that handled, that's no problem. And you meet with the, the worship team and you're preparing to get things ready and you're setting up the computer and getting ready to print out some notes and then somebody says, hey, there's somebody in there that is, is touching all the equipment. You know, I'm like, well, okay, well, that's weird. I'll go deal with that, you know. And then you go and you, you deal with that situation, and then you find out, well, that person, then they parked their car in the middle of the, the uh, driveway there so no one else could get in. And so you go and you try to deal with that. And you, and the, so there's something that's going on, and I want to just share it with you. I mean, all that stuff just sounds like, you know, a day in the life of a pastor, right? Constantly dealing with things that are, odd or unusual or people that have needs or, or people that are going through hardship or trial. Well, it's not just the day in the life of the pastor. That's the day in the life of a Christian. You're surrounded by people that are hurt, that are wounded, that are in need, that are having the, the, the worst time of their life, that are going through horrible tragedy. And yet we have a call and anointing on our life, not to be annoyed by those things, but to deal with them appropriately. I mean, the word that the scripture uses, minister to those things. You have a ministry anointing on your life. And what's amazing to me is when those things come into my life, what my response is, you know. And I mean, I don't have any trouble showing my clay feet. So, you know, when I show up and all of a sudden, you know, I need to get my notes out and, you get, and I find out, hey, there's somebody over there doing something. I don't think like, oh, hallelujah, this is an opportunity for me to operate in my ministry anointing. I really wish that that's what I thought. I mean, that would be really awesome. But instead, I just thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, that's really what I thought, you know, and you come out here and you deal with it and all. But there's, there's things that are going on, and I think it's important for us to get our perspective straight because God's placed his spirit inside of us for a purpose and a reason. So I told you we're going to find out what's happening. I want to give you a verse here. I mean, we use this verse a lot, and, and I think we should because it's kind of a big deal. You've, heard, us, you've heard, heard it come up before when we've talked about other topics. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 20. James chapter 1, verse 20. Now, James is speaking, and he says something that I want us to examine here. Uh, he, he talks about anger. He says, the anger of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. 
I may have quoted that before you had a chance to get there, but go ahead and turn there. It's, it's worth looking at. It's worth noting. It's probably worth underlining or, or you know, making some notes beside it because it's a passage of Scripture that we should look at. If being angry or, or being uh, uh, moved outside of the joy that God's called into our lives positions us to never accomplish what God's called us to, we ought to be aware of, of the importance of monitoring our countenance. No matter what's going on, whether it's in marriage or whether it's raising children or in business, there's constantly this attempt to move us into a state of frustration, disappointment, or ultimately anger. And the reason for that is to position us to never be able to accomplish what God called us to accomplish. I mean, literally this morning, I could have been moved to anger. And now I'm sitting here trying to accomplish what God's called me to accomplish, and it would be greatly affected by that. So I know that may be a little oversimplified, but I want us to examine that with that mentality. So when I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, well, what can keep me from being angry? What makes me angry? You know, I don't wake up in the morning and just think, wow, it's a beautiful day. The sun's up. Everyone's healthy. Things are going good. I'm super ticked right now. Anger is the result of something. I mean, anger is the result of something that's gone on that is going against what you're wanting or desiring to see. I mean, if you apply that definition to anger, you can see that anger is operating through some form of provocation, some form of, of poking and nagging. Now, I mentioned this morning that I, I felt a, a stirring to talk about provocation, and I got to tip my, my hand a little bit and just reveal why. This past week, I found myself constantly checking my phone to look at the news because I'm so frustrated by what's going on in our country. And I mean, every hour on the hour, I'm thinking, surely those clowns have woken up and done something about this. And so I'm trying to refresh the page, refresh the page, refresh the page, because I want to see something that comes up that says, yep, finally got it cleaned up, you know. But instead, it's getting worse and worse and worse, and it's snowballing. And I'm thinking, Who, who's in charge? Who prints this news? I've heard more false accusations, more uh, lies. You're hearing statistics presented that are not accurate, not even close to accurate. But yet they fuel a narrative that has an agenda to destroy our freedoms. I feel a little provoked by that. So I want to look at what the word says about provocation. If, if, if being provoked into a state of anger positions me to be outside of God's design for success, I want to protect myself from that. I don't want to read the news and get ticked off. Unfortunately, that's been the case recently. I don't want to show up at, at church and get ticked off because of a situation or a circumstance. I don't want to go home to my wife and then get ticked off because of something that's going on. I don't want to sit down with my children and then get ticked off because of something they did. I don't want to be moved out of joy and stability into anger and all that is uncertain and destined for destruction over situations and circumstances. So I see a solution. I see a solution in the scripture and it's found in who God is. I mean, 1 John in chapter 4, you see that God is love. And then you begin to see what love consists of and what love is made up of. You find that in, out of 1 Corinthians. Now, we've spoken about this. We did an entire series on it. But I'll give you the passage of Scripture because we're going to talk about uh, provocation and not being provoked based on this passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. 
Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. It goes on to say that it doesn't take into account wrong suffered or unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth and it bears and believes and hopes all things, endures all things, and ultimately love never fails. This unfailing love that God brings into our lives by his spirit, by his very existence in our life, is something that is not provoked. If we're simply talking about provocation this morning, I want to identify that. That the solution in my life to being provoked is God's love. The solution to that anxiety that I feel when I'm looking at news headlines or that anxiety that I feel when things feel challenged is going to be the love of God. It brings into our lives a perfect stability. And it's the reason why Jesus would manifest that through things like calming storms. The love of God is meant to be present in our life to protect us from being provoked. Provoked into what? Well, provoked into an angry response or reaction. Provoked into some sort of of, uh, uh, manifestation of frustration, wrath, or rage. All of those things outside of what we need to accomplish what God called us to. So since we're talking about being provoked, I want to just look up the word provoke. And as we read the definition, I mean, you can just ask yourself this question. Am, Am I being provoked? Our current circumstances, the current situation, and by the way, so that it is is very, very clear, that officer killed that guy. He's charged with murder. He lost his job that day. He was charged within hours for murder, and then they've increased the charge. Now, I want to share this with you, and this is just a thought. I'm not a militant pastor trying to stir the hornet's nest, but I do want to say justice will be served. Unless, this is just a thought. The charge was murder three. Murder three for this officer would be a slam dunk. The DA there upped the charge to murder two, and I have deep concerns that they did that so that he would be acquitted. Can you imagine the riots in the streets if that man is acquitted? Rather than charge him with manslaughter or murder three, they up the charge to murder two, and you have to ask yourself, why did you do that? There are things going on that we ought to pay attention to, and when I see them in the news, I feel provoked. I read it, and I think, hey, 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 I see what you're doing, and I don't like that. And I want to not be ruled by that provocation. Rather, I want the self-control that is the result of the presence of God's Spirit active in my life to prevail. And I want to rule over that provocation. So to provoke, by definition, to stir up purposefully. When you turn on the news, do you see people trying to stir things up purposefully? I don't think those bricks are accidentally flying through windows. It's like, hey, guys, I was carrying this brick. I tripped, and it just like, kind of like, oh, 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 oops. I mean, they're stirring things up purposefully. People are doing this. Another definition there in the list of, of uh, definitions for the word provoke. To cause a, a person to become angry or violent, etc., To cause someone to become angry or violent. I see it going on. 
And it's not just something that I see attempting to touch my life. I see it successfully touching the lives of a lot of people. Something has happened. That something can be real. That something can be painful. It can be an awful situation. That man losing his life, his name is George Floyd. He's a human being just like me. No matter what choices he made in his past, he didn't deserve to be killed like that. It was wrong. But that action now has provoked, it has made people angry, and it has led them to violence. We now see provocation ruling and reigning in a a portion of our population, and it's got to stop. So my question is, what's the solution? I mean, what do you do? Even if I can't make them do it, how can I pray? How can I intercede? What is the opposite of provocation? And if it's love that's not provoked then I want to be imparting the love of God into every one of those situations. If you take the word provoke and you just break it down into its two parts, you hear provoke, provoke. Pro is going to have this as a root. It means uh, forward or forth, you know. And then the, the voke side of it is, is the word call. So to, to call forward. Now, we don't, that sounds a little weird, but what if I were to word it like this, to call out? Have you ever been called out before? Somebody does something, says something. I mean, like at the basic form, when we're children and we're, you know, and I mean, this, I don't even think kids do this anymore because I'm so ancient and old, you know. I mean, but, you know, I remember as a kid, if someone was calling you out, it sounded something like this. What are you, chicken? And you're being called out, you know, you can't have that. Or I dare you, you know, it's like, oh, now he's been dared, now he has to do it, you know. But you're being called out. Right now, provocation is calling out people all over this country, in some ways to violence, in some ways to, to, to crime, in other ways to protest, and in other ways to righteous action. But we're all being provoked right now. The question is, how are we responding to that provocation? You know what, I've read news articles before. And you want to know the first thought that went through my mind? Time to clean the rifles and buy more ammo. I got news for you. That's not a good response. That's being moved to violence. That's a provocation that's just as bad as throwing bricks through windows, in my opinion. Nobody amen that, and I wasn't expecting it. But there's things going on. Every person in America today is being provoked. The question is, how are we responding? That word provoke, I want to give you another uh, biblical definition. Now, when we look up words, we use the dictionary because I think the dictionary is a great thing to use. I mean, how can you understand the word of God if you don't understand the words that make up the word of God, right? So a dictionary is a handy tool. There's also a tool called a concordance. Now, what the concordance does is you look up a word and it gives you Uh, some of the the roots in the history of the word and and some of its translations in its original form. You know, I mean, the way we talk changes. It's constantly changing. The speech today is different than it was uh, when I was younger. I mean, so if you look up the word provoke, if you look for that word that love is not provoked and you look in the concordance, you're going to find a word exasperate. Now, I don't use that word. I don't know if you use that word, exasperate. I mean, if you do use that word, you probably stick your pinky out when you drink, you know, mm, exasperate, you know. Exasperate, by definition, irritated or annoyed, especially to the point of injudicious action. 
Injudicious is the key word there. Injudicious meaning uh, not having good judgment. Irritated to the point of not having good judgment. That's what's going on. People are being provoked and they're being provoked to the point of making bad choices. Making bad choices is going to bring bad results into our lives. It all makes sense when you start to look at the scripture that if we're moved by anger, if we're pulled out of a state of stability and joy and all that is the kingdom of God, and we're called out into anger making unsound decisions, we're going to end up part of the problem and not part of the solution. And I feel like a lot of people are doing that today. Not helping a darn thing, so to speak but rather adding to the issues and the troubles. So one of our keys, one of the things that's necessary is for us to understand how we're meant and how we're equipped by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to handle these things. How am I equipped to handle provocation? Because provocation is here. It's now. It's happening. I want to be one who can respond to those things and respond to those things in a godly way rather than react to those things. I mean, based on the, the definition of those two words, we'll, we'll see the difference. The word react, it means uh, to exert a reciprocal uh, force or influence. I mean, reciprocal meaning like you did this, they do that. I mean, it, it, you see that happening. You hit me, I hit you. You throw a brick at me, I throw a brick at you. I mean, that's a reaction. We know it in, in, in science, you know. I mean, I remember as a kid being taught that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, you got it. You went to school. Good for you. Gold star for you. If you break that word down, the two parts, re and act, reaction. Re means again. Again, or back. Act means perform. You take those two parts and it just means play back. I'm going to act back to you. It's, it's founded upon vindication. You do this to me, I'm doing it to you. And the, the problem with that is when you have people provoking through looting and stealing and beating and hurting, then your reaction positions you to loot and steal and beat and, and provoke in the same way. And we're not called to that. So rather than react, we have to respond. Now, by definition, respond. To have a particular or a planned answer to something. To have a particular or a planned answer to something. Let me tell you what was really awesome just this morning. When there was a, a mild provocation this morning. Somebody just behaving strangely, parking in the middle of the driveway, not letting other cars in. I mean, obviously, there weren't a lot of cars trying to get in, you know. But they just parked right there. It was weird. But I talked to Rodney, many of you know Rodney, one of our sentinels here, and there was a plan. So that it wasn't something where we're all panicked, thinking, oh my God, this is unusual, what do we do? And so we start reacting to every action that comes against us, rather we have a formed response. Well, in that situation, this is our protocol, and so here's what we do. Well, as Christians, we have a protocol. We have been given a script to respond to the chaos that exists in the world. Now, the problem is, some of us don't like the script. When God calls us to do things like forgive and things like that, sometimes we have a hard time with that. And in some places, more than others. 
but respond by definition, to have a particular or planned answer to something. The next definition when you're reading down the lines is to be answerable. I mean, that's kind of a weird word to say, answerable. It's a word that's kind of a mouthful, answerable, but if you just take that and break down what it is, it means able to answer. If you've been equipped to respond to the situation that exists in our culture today, that means God's given you the ability to answer. And all of this is manifest in Jesus. I mean, when you see Jesus dealing with the culture of the day, being challenged, being tested, having questions, if you think the current presidential administration is grilled by the media, just read the New Testament. People had meetings to try to get Jesus to step in it verbally. Asking him questions to trap him. And in that situation, the penalty wasn't a nasty headline. The penalty was death. That's a high-stakes game. And Jesus is responding to every one of their questions with perfect answers because God has equipped him to respond, and he's equipped you to respond. He's equipped me to respond. In any situation or circumstance, whether it's the lofty political situation facing our country or whether it's somebody flipping you the bird when you cut them off in traffic, we can respond rather than react because God is good and he's put his spirit inside of us. So there's something here that I want to share with you, and it may not be that big a deal, but when you break down the word respond, kind of like we did react. React meant we're going to play it back. You do this to me, I do this to you. Respond, again, re meaning back. But the back half of that spawn is the word from, for promise or pledge. We have the opportunity to replay the promise. The promise being Jesus Christ. The promise being the pledge of God to not leave or forsake. The promise being the, 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 the word of God that, that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. I loved the prayer that Jared prayed as he was, was singing this morning, as he was leading us. It was, it was, I mean, Jared's always a great and wonderful worship leader. But when he gave thanks and he spoke about uh, Jesus and, and his... Uh, fulfillment of the promise and, and his, his leadership in our lives, when he gave him thanks in that way, it was so moving to me to consider that Jesus, in response to God's instruction to his life, would fulfill that promise in our lives. And it's a powerful thing. So being provoked, being moved from where we're at to a place of, of anger and compromise, making choices and decisions that are reactions rather than responses, is going to lead to frustration. So I want to know what we've got to do. I mentioned before we're going to find something. We're going to find the difference between success and failure. The difference between success and failure in any situation, whether it's our current political climate or whether it is a, a, an item in your household or business or whatever, Jesus gives us a very clear and, and clean image of what's necessary for success. You'll find it in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I want to begin reading in verse 46. And I want to encourage you with this. I mean, I understand that it's hot. I understand that it's hard. I, I know I'm, I've been at this for a, a long time pastorally. And anytime the temperature feels like this, I know you've got until about 11 o'clock and then people's eyes start to shine. I can see it, I know. And God gives pastors a gift, you know. When you start to feel that bead of sweat run down your back and it makes it all the way down to your crack, it's time to wrap it up. 
Time to wrap it up. Uh, come on, it's just a little quiet in here. Listen, we're being provoked. We're, there is a spirit at work in this nation trying to pull us out, draw us out, call us out. Call us out into what? Into their chaos. Into the way they handle things. Jesus speaks about this, and he says this uh, in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. He asks this question. This is an awesome question. I mean, it really is an incredible question. In fact, you're going to hear it. In some, for some of us, it might even make you a little mad. But he says this. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? I've never seen that on a bumper sticker, but we should do that. I think we'd sell two. I'd buy one and maybe you, you know. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? That's a really fantastic question. He goes on to say this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. Did you hear that? Hears my words and acts on them. I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and he laid a foundation on the bedrock. And then when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. So this well-built structure is the person who hears the words of Jesus and then acts on them. He goes on to contrast this. He says, but the one who hears and does not act. So you got to understand, the difference here isn't hearing. Both guys hear, right? I mean, like for our purposes, we could say both these guys go to church, you know. Both these guys have Bibles. Both these guys read their Bibles. Both of these guys, you know, whatever. They've both heard the word. One of them acted on it, and the other one didn't. The man that did not act on it, he's like the man who built his house right on top of the ground without any foundation. And when the torrent or the storm burst against it, it immediately collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. I mean, that's kind of a, a, an interesting way to finish that. I mean, he's trying to communicate here. It's not just like, oh, man, the house fell over. That's all right. Prop it back up. He's saying it was so destructive, there's no rebuilding it. I mean, this is a challenge here. The ruin of that house was great. The difference is how we act. Are we acting based on Jesus' word, or are we acting based on some other motive? And I think that's a good question to ask ourselves in any situation in any circumstance, in any political climate, am I doing what Jesus says with my attitude or my actions, or am I doing something different? I'll give you a passage of Scripture here that's important for us to know. It's out of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, and that's Jesus Christ. When Jesus is speaking to us about the difference between either enduring hardship, enduring storms, enduring floods, enduring destructive times, when the environment around you is devastating and destructive and all of those things that are not built well are being washed away and the ruin is great, we have the ability to remain and it's all about our willingness to stand firm upon the words of Jesus Christ, to let all of our actions be in response to his word and his instruction, to let our actions and our words not be a reaction to what's going on in the culture, but let our response be in agreement with what Jesus would instruct. 
So I want to give you this as, as an idea, just a thought. I see provocation as having two points of entry into any person's life at any time. And I got news for you, we're getting close, all right? Two points of entry into any person's life at any time. Provocation has two points of entry. I mean, this room right here has two entry points. There's a set of doors there and a set of doors there. If you wanted to keep something out, you could simply address that door, address that door, problem solved. Provocation has two points of entry, and these are the two places that Jesus Christ is ministering and working in our lives. The first one is insecurity. Provocation will operate through insecurity. I mean, it's the reason why on the schoolyard, what are you, chicken? Can make someone make a bad choice, and they end up getting pounded, right? Well, why did they do that? Because being called a chicken uh, touched their insecurity. They cared about what someone thought about them. Big mistake. Big mistake. Insecurity is a place where provocation can enter in. Proverbs 16, 27. I'm operating here with the understanding of insecurity being a state of having no worth. Proverbs 16, 27. A worthless or insecure or unstable man, he digs up evil. His words are like a scorching fire. Proverbs 6, 12. A worthless or insecure or unstable person is operating in wickedness. And they operate with a perverse mouth. Insecurity is an open door for provocation. To react to anything that's spoken to you or react to anything that's performed against you. And another source of provocation in our lives, other than insecurity, is the, the opposite of insecurity. It would be pride or arrogance. Proverbs 28.25 says that a prideful man stirs up or abounds in strife. And Proverbs 16, 18, that pride will always go before destruction and a haughty spirit, excuse me, will go before stumbling or a fall. I want to close with this. I mean, this is the, the point, that Jesus is at work in us so that we can respond to the existing provocation that's in the world today rather than react and be sucked into the problem. We're called to respond and carry solution, not react and add to the problem. I want to give you a passage of scripture. I told you before what's, we were going to find out uh, something. It was one of the three things we talked about. What, what's needed for people to, to see God or for there to be a sense of, of revival or something great happening uh, by God. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Luke. Luke chapter 3, verses 4, and si 4 through 6. You see a description of what's going on here as Jesus' ministry is, is on the way into existence. It's a description of what was prophesied concerning a man named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, the work of Jesus, the ministry that God's bringing to heal the hearts of all men and women so that we can respond rather than react. And here is how he announces the coming of our Savior. He's described as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, this is what he's crying. Make straight or make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Let every valley be filled and every mountain be laid low. The crooked, let it become straight and the rough become smooth. And then all flesh will see the salvation of God. Now, I remember reading that as a young believer and I just thought, well, that's poetic. 
you know. Here's a guy who's making this proclamation, and he's probably a little bit of a showman, you know, a little bit of a theatrical guy. And so he can't just say, hey guys, Jesus is coming. But he has to say, everybody listen. Let every valley be filled up and let every mountain be brought low. And let every crooked place be made straight and all the rough be made smooth. And all will see the salvation of God. And the crowd just... (sighs) Now I realize something. He's saying something here. It's not just poetic. It's not just uh, showmanship or, or theatrics. He's revealing what the work of the Spirit of God in our lives does. Let every valley be filled up. Let every empty place or every insecurity in your life be met with your identity in God. And let every mountain be brought low. All the pride and the arrogance that you are your own person and that your life is in your own hands, let that be brought low. To come to the full understanding that you are not your own, but you have a maker and you have a king. Let those things be made level. All of the insecurities ministered to and all of the pride ministered to. Then, then you have the straight way for the Lord to be revealed to all of the world. It's what I want for my life, and it's what I want for yours. It's what God wants for us, and it's why Jesus is at work. Healing our insecurities, ministering to our pride, so that when provoked by the outside, we're not reacting out of pride or reacting out of insecurity, adding to the problem, but rather we are stable because the insecurity has been healed and the pride has been ministered to and we can stand with the response of Jesus Christ in the face of total chaos. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I know what some of you are thinking. The sweat just made it. (laughs) But you're right. But I want to pray and ask God for that. And maybe I shouldn't ask this. And, and, you know, don't, don't raise your hands because I don't think that would be a good thing. But have you felt provoked recently? And if you haven't, then just take what you can from the message. But if you had, then join with me in saying, God, I want every valley filled up. And I want every point of pride and every mountain brought low. I want to show people Jesus through this. I don't want to read those headlines and think, oh, you know what I ought to do? I ought to go down there. I don't want to do that. I want to read those headlines and not be moved with fear and anxiety and not be moved with anger and hate. But I want to be moved with the truth by the spirit of truth, to reveal love through God's love and his presence in my life. I want to reflect Jesus into every one of these problems. There where you stand, I just want to pray and I want to ask God to do something in each one of us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your glory. We rejoice in knowing that through all the provocation that exists in our country right now, you've provided us the ability to respond rather than to react. Let our hearts be turned to Jesus, that we would be wise, hearing his words and then acting on them. That we would apply the counsel from from your scripture, from the word that you provided us with, that we would provide the counsel of your spoken word to our hearts by your spirit. 
that we would apply all of those truths to the situations and the circumstances that threaten our security and our safety and our well-being today. That we would not be those who would react and compound the problem. But let us be those gifted and anointed to respond by your word with a firm foundation of your counsel and your direction to let Jesus be revealed as the ultimate solution. We give you thanks and rejoice. Let a work be done in our hearts and in our minds that we would examine ourselves, that we would close the door to provocation, that we would surrender to you for healing in every insecurity that would exist in our lives and that we would humble our hearts and lay down every pride. We bless your name and we thank you. We rejoice in you, that you're so good that you're present and that you're near to do a great work. And we trust in you, that you are not finished with the United States of America, that you have a great plan for this country, that we would stand as a beacon of light and hope, that we would stand declaring the power and the worth of the kingdom of God, that we would not give in to the culture that would try to silence your people. But let our refusal to give in not be a reaction. Let it be a response. That we wouldn't be led by anger and provocation, but that we would be led by conviction and righteousness. Let our words be seasoned with grace and let our actions be empowered by the Holy Ghost. Let signs and wonders go before your people that would silence the mouths of the scoffer and the critic. We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.